two opening text scriptures. Two opening text scriptures. The first one is Psalm 55. And the other text scripture will be 1 Peter chapter 5. Psalm 55 and 1 Peter chapter 5. I want to introduce a way of thinking and a a new normal that I believe God is calling the body of Christ to. As our world grows darker, the body of Christ will grow more lighter. And what what does it mean? It doesn't mean that the body of Christ will all turn light-skinned, God forbid. But what it does mean is that the influence, the light of the kingdom of God would be seen on various platforms that had, it had not yet been seen before. You will start to see more individuals who on larger stages will not be afraid of what they believe. And they will be sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, not just in word, but in deed and in fruit. Pastor Gregory ministered a message not too long ago at the end of May entitled, The Gospel Must Be Seen. It must be heard. And I want to encourage this group to listen to the messages that are coming across this pulpit because God speaks to our senior pastor. And when God speaks to our senior pastor, it's for the flock God has entrusted to him. And if you all even go back further, Pastor Gregory ministered on angels. Before he ministered on angels, he ministered on end time. And so God, he, as a part of Linked Up Church, and most importantly, as a part of the body of Christ, God is not going to leave you out here in the dark. God is not going to have you caught by surprise. I heard that. So by the Spirit of God, there are some of you in here that have suppressed gifts of the Spirit for a long time because you're afraid of people thinking that you're crazy. The gifts operations, flows of the Holy Spirit weren't just to be relegated to the five-fold ministry gifts or those who are standing behind the pulpit. The five or the, the gifts of the Spirit, which you can find in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, were given as proof of a gospel and, a, and of a grace that you possess. So people get pigeonholed on which one they operate in. My thing is just get so full of the Holy Spirit, just let him lead you any way he desires. So tonight, I want people to, what God has put in your heart, you don't have time to waste. Let's get to what God has called you to do. But there's something that hinders us from taking steps of faith. There's something that stops us from being everything we see ourselves being on the inside of us. Another nugget I'd like to share with you is if you have seen it in your heart. Has anybody had any dreams that you've seen in your life concerning you, concerning your family, just by a show of hands? Well, that dream that you saw is too small. But God was giving you an indication of just a fraction of where you're going. Your dreams are not the end all. They're just the starting point. Even when a Christian fails, they never lose. Because your victory is in Jesus Christ. Psalm 55 and verse 22. It says, cast your burden on the Lord and he shall sustain you. The word burden there is very interesting. In the Hebrew, it means your lot in life or circumstances you were born into. It also refers to the times that we're living in. So it's saying cast your burden, or if you wanted to break that down all the way to its core, cast things that are out of your control that have happened to you onto the Lord. I'm going to show you why that's important. It says, and he shall sustain you. That word sustain means he will hold you in his hand. He will hold you together. This next part is very interesting. It says he shall never permit, allow, 
the righteous to be moved. The word righteous there is not referring to a person's conduct. The word righteous there is referring to a person God has declared righteous because they've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. He says he will not permit or allow them to be moved. Why is this so significant? Why is this so important? A, I don't want to say bad teaching, but a bad teaching in the body of Christ is that some bad things God allows. Some things God has you to go through. But if I'm looking at Psalm 55 and 22, that would make God bipolar. Because that scripture said he will not permit the righteous to be moved. So the bad things that happened to us, God did not have his hand in. Because if I believe that this God that I'm supposed to serve will use bad things to teach me lessons, then I am not going to actively resist opposition that comes against me in my life. I'm going to be passive and say, well, it must be the Lord's will because it happened. And that's not what that scripture is saying. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 5. As you turn to 1 Peter chapter 5 to further prove out what I said in Psalm 55 and 22, when it talks about burden, Jesus himself in Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 and 29, and if you come to any small group, leadership, huddle, training, orientation, this is one scripture I'm going to quote at least once. Matthew 11, 28 29 says, his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So if this burden that I'm dealing with is heavy and I believe it came from God, someone's lying. So 1 Peter chapter 5, in verse 5, it says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you. So because of, for the uh, sake of time, I'm not going to go before verse 5, but it basically talked about the responsibility for every person in leadership. And again, you lead your life. So everyone in here is in leadership in some form or fashion. And so when it picks up with younger uh, people, submit yourselves to the elders, it turns around and as we see here, it says, yes, all of you be submissive or subservient one to another. And be clothed with humility. Now, I'm not the brightest tool in the shed, but I will make this conclusion. Everyone in here today had to get clothes before they came. So when it says clothed with humility, it's not talking about a one-time thing. It's not talking about a message you studied back in 2003, 2004. Yeah, I studied that. But it's saying every day There is a mindset that all of us should have, and it should be a mindset of humility. Humility is not weakness. Humility doesn't mean you're a doormat. Humility means whatever Christ's example was, that's what I'm going to follow. That's humility. Every day our mind should be that, and so our litmus test of how humble we are is displayed in how we treat each other. So the Bible talks about how can you say you love God who you cannot see and you have beef with the person that you can see. This submissive term, I don't know why I'm going over here, but hey, we're just going to go over here. The submissive term is also used in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Most people start in verse 22, which says wife submit. But verse 21 says submitting to one another. So for spouses, 
your level of submission to God is shown in how submissive you are to your spouse. So I cannot say that I'm this person who is submitted to the plan calling of God and I'm treating people wrong. So how I treat you is really my true response to God's work in my life. Okay? So he has us practicing something. I'm going somewhere with this. I know I lost most of y'all, but uh, I'm going somewhere. And God is saying, I want you to practice humility with each other because what I'm going to ask you to do is going to require humility on a daily basis. Let's keep reading and see what that humility will be. It says, for God resists the proud. The word proud there is not a noun. So the word proud is not a person, place, or thing. The word proud there in the Greek is an adjective. And so if it's an adjective, I can substitute proud and place pride. The word resist there means that God is an opponent to or does not agree with or does not work well with the action of pride. It is not talking about a person. So when God is resisting the proud, he's saying that I do not work well with pride. He's not saying that if a person is walking in pride, I'm against them. But God gives grace, hallelujah, God gives grace to those who will operate in humility. So I'm going to be fair, and I'm going to say that there are areas that we all are humble in. I believe that about you. But I'm also going to say there are some areas that you have some pride in. And the more you grow in this Christian walk, the more you address the areas that you haven't yet swallowed your pride in. So it says, God gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself. It didn't say, therefore, I will send a situation to humble you. A pride goes before a fall. So many times when prideful individuals fall, it wasn't God sending that to them so they could slow down. It was cause and effect. If you sow pride, you're going to reap the results of what a prideful person gets. So no one or nothing else can humble you but you. Because there are people who bust their head wide open and say, God, I won't do this again. They get away from it, and then they go back to the same lifestyle. Because if, if, if God was going to humble you, you'd be humble. So humility is our responsibility. That's a tweet right there. Shoot. How do we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, his power? The reason why we want to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand is because he may promote or exalt you in due time. When we're trying to exalt ourselves, we're trying to tell the father of time when our time should be. And this is how we humble ourselves. Casting all of your care upon him. For he cares for you. So an indication of pride is when I get into the arena of anxiety and worry in any area. Because when I'm anxious and when I'm worried, I'm saying, God, I'm not sure about my strength in this situation, and you sure are taking a long time. So called pride. When you cast your care, 
You're saying, God, you know what to do with this better than I know what to do with this. And I'm going to follow your instructions that you have for this. Sometimes we come to church and we cast our care only during offering to pick it back up again and walk out the door. So a humble person knows how to cast their care. Now, I want to be very specific when I say the word care, because many people are going to listen to what I'm saying about casting your care, and they're going to use the wrong definition of what care is. And so there's a slide, the next slide. Care and cares are any thoughts that distract your focus from God's power and love. That's what I'm talking about when I say care. I'm not saying I don't care about life, so I'm not going to do anything. That is not what that scripture is saying. Cares in 1 Peter chapter 5, any thoughts. Which means that casting your care is not a one-time event. Because I've been there in life where, you know, you have that good work. And I'm going to use the good days, okay, where you prayed. And there are days that I prayed, and when I got off from my prayer time and into my day, all of a sudden something hit me and I, I started stressing. If care was a one-time thing, you could just say, Father, I give you all my cares all the time, forever, in Jesus' name, amen. I don't care about anything. That's not how it works. Cares are dynamic, which means they're sporadic just like your thought life. So as often as you have thoughts that are contrary to God's power and love in your life is how often you should be casting your cares on the Lord. Just because you have a bad thought doesn't make you a sinner. And it does not mean that you don't believe what you pray. It means you had a bad thought. So when I talk about casting our care, I'm talking about a journey or a lifestyle. If we take an evaluation, some of us have a doctorate in the school of worry. Some of us are worried when we're not worrying, thinking that if we don't worry, then we'll have something to worry about. Some of us have coped with stress for so long that it's become our friend every day we wake up. And the thought of not stressing stresses us out. Some of us are generational warriors, fourth generation. I don't know how far back that is, but y'all go back four generations. <laughs> and you'll notice that all we did was worry about everything. Worried about paying the bills, pay the bill, worried about the next month's bills. After we got done worrying about those bills, we worried about something to eat. After we ate, we worried about what we're going to get for breakfast. Everything we did had a level of worry to it. Worried about getting in the car, putting on the seatbelt. Worried about the cars around us. We get to our destination. Worried about is the building going to stay up and not fall down. Worried about what's going to happen when I walk back outside, get in my car and go back home. Worry has become an unwanted friend of the believer. And we allowed him, her, it, that to dominate our mind. And so if we're honest with ourselves with that definition of care, how many of you could agree that you could care less? Tyler, tonight's message. I could care less. Now, I understand what the right word to say with that phrase is. You couldn't care less. But the fact of the matter is some of us have levels of care that are off the charts right now. And it would help us if we cared 
less in those areas. Now, for those who say, I don't care about anything, I want to introduce you to what I call life's care packages. And if we could throw that up there on the screen as well. We want to go through a litmus test to see where our care meter is. So when it comes to life's care packages, do you have inability to sleep? Is it hard for you to go to bed when you get home? The Bible says God gives his beloved sleep. It's a gift. You don't have to work for it. (laughs) Is it hard for you to stay in the moment, racing thoughts? So even as you came into service and and you, you were listening to praise and worship, your mind couldn't help but wonder what else is going on when I leave here. As I'm talking to you, And talking about what you're worried about, you're thinking about what you're worried about. (laughs) The next test for these care packages is that you have a plan B. So I know what God told you, but in the event that it don't work out like he said it did, you've got your plan B to fall back on. That's care. Finally, which I'm probably guilty of, probably all five of those up there. I know there's only four, but there's a fifth one that I just didn't write that I'm guilty of. But that fourth one is, are you irritable? Are you moody? Are you touchy? People have to figure out what mood you're in before they approach you, your highness. You're worried. Anytime we're irritable, it's because we're stressing about something. We didn't cast our care. If you notice the times you're most irritable is when either you didn't eat, that's real. Not that I ranked them in order of importance. And then the other one is you didn't pray. Now, when I'm talking about anxiety, when I'm talking about worry, I want to make a clarification here. I am not referring or talking to those who have been diagnosed with anxiety disorders, clinical depression, et cetera, or those who are under the supervision of a mental health professional. I'm not talking about those type of situations because those It's a different category. These are labels, just like if you had an ailment in your knee and you had a knee brace uh, or you had something wrong with cartilage or muscles in your body that you would get worked on. Did you know your brain is a muscle? So all mental disorders are is a disorder of a muscle. But we made it out to be spiritual all the time. And sometimes it's natural. They got the demon of schizophrenia. What? No, no, no. Everything ain't a demon. So I folks don't go to church. Because when we don't know the answer, we try to make something up. And say, well, it must be the Lord's will. Then when people realize that the Lord's will is, first it changes from week to week depending on how you feel. But when it doesn't have any results, they end up leaving Christianity. You know what? I, I actually believe that this is the time where the most authentic ministries will take the forefront in our world. I actually see a re-emergence of Christianity into the forefront, an authentic Christianity, because can I be honest with y'all, and I know I shouldn't be out here, but I'm going to be out here. I'm tired of church. I'm tired. How do I know that? Because the folks in church are tired of church. But you going because, you know, you either, uh, you know, honor the Lord or you feel like, you know, I got to get perfect attendance for God to do something good this week. Woo, woo, woo. But the fact of the matter is, something got to give. And it's time to be authentic, man. Amen. Amen. 
2 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go there. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Start reading at verse 4. It says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Verse 5, casting down, King James says, imaginations. So that proves out what we just read in 1 Peter chapter 5. Casting your care, thoughts, casting down, imaginations. That word imaginations also means speculations or assumptions. All fear is is an assumption based off of limited information of what will happen in our future. And we readjust our life with faulty information. Whenever I'm doing any type of spiritual guidance with married couples, one tool that I utilize is I do not allow them to bring assumed accusations into the reason why they're in here. And what we discover by the end of that session is that they're angry at what they told themselves the other person meant by what they did. (laughs) And when we get down to the core, the root answer is, I'm just worried that they will dot, dot, dot. What's my answer? Cast your care. And we're done. I'll see you all later. God bless you. So if I don't do that with married couples, then why should we do that to God and assume what he meant based off of the circumstances we're facing? That's pride. Anytime you make an assumption of someone else's motives, you're saying that you can defy scripture because scripture said man looks to the outer appearance, but God looks at the heart. So when you think you know what somebody meant by what they said, what they posted, etc., you're saying, I am so prideful that that scripture don't apply to me. Let's go a little further. So we can say that all pride is, is your ability to modify scripture to your ratchet living. That's pride. Anytime you make any adjustment to scripture to suit you in your circumstance, you're prideful. Mark chapter 4. So what's so important about us casting our care or getting rid of any thought that tries to discourage us from believing in God's power and his love in our life? Why is this so important? Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 18. If you want to do more study, which I highly encourage... Anytime you come to a Bible study, all we're doing is just giving you something to whet your appetite, to go back further and just do more contextual studies to what we're saying. Because the deeper you go, the greater revelation that you have. And ideally, shameless plug, when you get into a small group, you all will be able to share the various revelations and everyone grows up together. That's the purpose of small groups. So in Mark 4, parable of the sower, we're going to fast forward to the end. It says, and these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word. Now, I'm not going to be inerrant in saying that the only way to get the word is by coming to church. I'm not going to say that because there are people who are in remote islands in the world getting the word and they don't have a church. But what I am saying is that church attendance does help the retention of the word that you're getting. Tell you what happens. When, when people get into sin, 
and no condemnation. Even when people get into things that they condemn themselves about, the first place they stop assembling is with brothers and sisters. Because of the assumption, and sometimes it's a valid assumption, that they're going to be judged because of their lifestyle or their decisions. Well, since we're here tonight, we're saying at Linked Up Church that we will not judge people based off of their decisions that they've made in life. Because judging doesn't correct the decision. Loving does. So when we choose to love someone in spite of, it helps to bring down that level of pride of, man, you know I ain't been there in like two months, years. (laughs) I just can't go back this week. Pride. If the Lord is leading you to do something, don't tell him you have a better way. Just follow what he said. So it says, they are the ones that hear the word, but this is what happens when they hear the word and then there's no follow-up. The cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and they choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. So holding an excess amount of care in any area chokes the word that we know in that area. So that even though we have the books, you know, I saw a post recently that said, read your bookcase. Even though we have the books, even though we have the CD series, even though we've been in the church service and even have the notes, if I'm not acting on what I've read and taken notes on, that word in my life is no benefit to me. And so it's saying there are various things that step in. There's cares of this world. There's the deceitfulness of riches, meaning that I'm not going to really get into the word because I've got to go ahead and do X, Y, and Z because I've got to go ahead and bring up my family. We've got to do this, do that, do this, do that. So you know what? I'll catch it on the other side. That's pride because you're saying, God, I know a better way of getting resources to me than you do. Pride is our lifestyle choices saying, God, I know more than you in this area. Pride says, I'll do things my way. But humility says, I'll do things God's way. It says, and the desires for other things. Now, when it says in Mark chapter 4, verse 19, the desires for other things, it's making reference to not only bad things, It's talking about good things. So having things is not bad. Having toys and things that you enjoy and and enjoying life is not bad when kept in proper perspective. So God isn't saying you need to live a life of abstract, is it abject, is it abject, abject, thank you. Abject poverty, yes. But what? I'm going to say it like this. That was the Holy Spirit filter right there. I just got one of those like last week. I ain't had it my whole ministerial life. But when I attach success in life to things, material, even from a clergy perspective, I set you up to be pulled away by the desire of things. So my success in life 
is not in what I live in, not in what I drive in, not in what I wear, and not what I bring home. My success in life is did I do what God said? And I'll leave everything else up to him. That's humility. And I'll save the rest for a blog post. The reason why it says that these three things choke the word, any landscapers in here, anybody enjoy landscaping? I recently took it up and just love it. Anybody like cutting the grass? Anybody cut the grass? Um, plant plants, grow tomatoes, fruit. All right. Well, for those of you all have ha- who have had any type of experience working outdoors in the yard, You know that it's important to get rid of your weeds if you want what you're desiring to grow to be able to have dominance in whatever area that you have. The reason that is the case is that weeds and whatever you're desiring to grow all are in competition for the same source. So when it talks about the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, the desire for things, Those three things are in competition with the word of God in those areas for one source. What is that source? Your attention. So when I'm consumed with care, when I'm consumed with got to get this paper, when I'm consumed with I'll only be happy when I'm driving, living, doing X, Y, and Z, then I'm going to slide over to a point where the word of God has no effect and I'm not listening to anything because I am not satisfied with my current state of living. So humility says, God, I'm trusting you with the situation. God, I'm trusting you with the wealth. God, I'm trusting you with the things. God gave us faith, not things. Faith gives substance to things. So if I'm short-circuiting God for something that I have on the inside that can produce what I need, then why in the world will I continue stressing about something that God has already given me? So we have to resolve in our life that I could care less. Go back to 1 Peter chapter 5. Because there's some things that I'm supposed to do tonight. 1 Peter chapter 5. Do y'all want a bonus nugget tonight? All right, real quick, real quick, real quick. All right, and go read it, study it, look it up for yourself because, you know, they're still working on minister events. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Just looking at that scripture by itself, it says and means what it reads. That before any knowledge must first come honor of God. So true knowledge only comes out of my honor for God, saying that he is the one from which all wisdom flows. When I delved and went deeper into the definition of beginning, the word beginning is a lot like sports rankings, okay? The word beginning is a sports, an Olympic-type term. What it says there is that honor ranks higher than knowledge. Honor is number one. What you know about that situation is number two. What pride says is that I'm going to take what I know and put it above what I'm supposed to do, which is honor God. So when you think about honoring God in those areas that you're having a struggle in releasing and allowing him to care for, the only barrier you have is your what you believe wisdom what you believe you know about that situation, what you believe your experience tells you about that situation. But 
all of that, both good and bad knowledge, does not rank higher than honor of God. I can prove it to you. Later, go read Philippians chapter 2. Because if knowledge ranked higher than honor, who could agree that God knew everything about us and was accurate? Who can agree to that? So if knowledge ranked higher than honor, Jesus would not have died on the cross because of what he knew we would do in disrespecting his sacrifice. So even in spite of what he knew, he still said, God, I appeal to you. And humbled himself to the point of death. Spouses, y'all live with each other. Y'all know each other. And the only reason why you don't want to honor is because of what you know about that person. You do not allow your knowledge to take place of honoring God in the whole scheme of things because when you do, that's called pride and that goes before a fall. So humility is said, regardless of what I know, I'm still going to honor. That was a side nugget. I didn't, you know, mean to share that one. So let's close with this. And then we're going to cast our cares tonight. So how am I able to cast my care? How am I able to care less? We read in verse 6, in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, therefore be humble or therefore humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all of your care upon him for he cares for you. Very significant uh, word that is used in that phrase, cast, that first cast. That word casting is also used in Mark chapter 11, verses 7 and 8, when as Jesus was making his triumphant entry, into the city where they were promoting him as Lord, they cast their garments on the colt that he was sitting on and the road that he would be traveling on. Why is that significant? He uses that same word to imply to us, because in those days, your garments represented your education. Your garment represented your status. Your garment represented your family history. Your garment represented your status in society. And when they put that on the donkey for him to sit on, they were saying that you are Lord and that is a finished work. When they put the garments right before Jesus as he was coming in for his triumphant entry, they were saying every single place your feet treads is victory. So regardless of what I know and what I'm known by, I'm going to lay it at your feet for you to do what only you can do with this situation. So this is how we care less. Number one, we exercise humility by reminding ourselves to seek God before you act. Humility is not saying, God, I got this. Even if you had it before. It's saying, even in this situation, what should I do? Because a humble person is not a passive person. And a humble church is not a passive church. Even with the ills of society, there was a way that used to work, but we have to get wisdom on what works for today. Number two, focus on God's peace. Shalom, shalom. Nothing missing, nothing broken. Amen. And I just want to read verses uh, 8 through 11, and then we're going to pray and uh, close out. It says, be sober, be vigilant. The word sober means to be aware. Vigilant means keep your eyes open. Sober also means be calm. I was about to say it means to really be sober, y'all out here in these streets. <laughs> but <laughs> it means to stay calm even under pressure. That's humility. When you get frantic, you're saying, God, I don't really trust what you said. 
Calm under pressure means, God, he has this, and I'm just obeying his orders. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, the word devil there means the one who's lying about your situation, false accuser. That's what the word devil means there. Walks about like, doesn't mean is, like a roaring lion, just barking lies. Seeking whom he may devour. How does Satan devour Christian, Christians? By convincing them through subtle speculations that they didn't cast down to hold on to their cares till they become swallowed up in something that doesn't even exist. Resist him. How do I resist him? Casting your care. Not these devil right now. Ha. I resist you. I said stand back. Stand guard and see Satan right now. I talk. You ain't got to talk to somebody who defeated. You show them the scoreboard. Stop talking to somebody who's irrelevant. You resist the devil by submitting to God. Steadfast in the face, knowing that the same sufferings are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. So his other lie is, you're the only person going through this right now. You know, this is just unique to you. You know that you so special that God made seven billion people on earth, only made one of you. But you so special to God's whole grand scheme of things that you got this unique test and challenge that won't nobody understand but you. That's pride. So when you understand that other people are dealing with the same thing you're dealing with, you won't be so prideful in holding that in to the point of you collapsing. And then you join a small group. Another shameless plug. I know, but it's biblical. It says, these are the same sufferings that are experienced by your brotherhood in the world. Has anybody this year gone through a test? Hands up. Hands up. Hands up. Hands up. Hands up. We family. But here's the best part. But may God, may the God of all grace. God has more grace than you have problems. The God of all grace. Who has called us to his eternal glory. Glory is significant because it means God's actual manifested presence in your life, not some theory, not some book, but when people get around you, they can sense God Almighty. Hallelujah. After you've suffered a while, what's suffering? Resisting your flesh's desire to be prideful. That's suffering. That you will be perfect, which means mature. That you will be established. That you will be strengthened. And his grace will settle you. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Stand to your feet, please. James 5.16 says in the Amplified, Confess to one another. Therefore, your slip-ups, your false steps, your offenses, your sins. Here's the biggest part. And pray for one another that you may be healed. The reason why God is asking us to pray for others is because it, it helps us in casting our care because we take our focus off of what's not right and we're able to place it on who's made everything right for us. It says, and restore to a spiritual tone of mind and heart. Here's the most important thing that we can do as Linked Up Church. Have earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of righteous people. Because it's only there that tremendous power that is explosive in his working 
can be realized and we can all be aware to. Tonight I'm going to have us get in groups of four. And when you get in those groups of four, you don't have to tell the whole story. You can tell the quick story. But I want you to tell the person when you all get in, in, a, in a circle of four people, tell the person to the right what you would like them to pray with you about. And you all go through that entire circle until you get back to the end. Ideally, the music team will have, will have prayed. And if we could sing the worship song while they're praying, we'll all get to the same point at the same time. So for the congregation, what I want you all to do right now, find four people, four people to get in a circle with. Find four people. Hallelujah. And you all can begin. To 